So we have a custom when we give a Dhamma talk, we um, pay homage to the three refuges, the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. So this is what I will be doing now. Namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambuddhasa Bhutam Dhammam Sangam Namasami. <clears throat> so it's always impressive for me to see so many people wanting to come at the end of a long working day to practice Dhamma, to listen to the Dhamma, to um, be interested in making effort, in uh, generating effort and energy in your life to um, cultivate this uh, quality of mindfulness, awareness, the Dhamma, the training of the heart, what is helpful for you to wake up to see things um, in a perspe- from a perspective which is different from the one that your habits seem to um, guide you. Habits of the mind, conditionings of our mind, the um, programs of our consciousness very strong, very powerful and um, the Buddhist teaching is really an inquiry into um, ways of um, freeing the heart from um, this uh, those those conditionings, freeing freeing the heart from um, living from a perspective which is just a mechanical repetitive and um, deadening worldview that those programs set up. I think um, if we want to find out what dukkha is, this word dukkha, the suffering that is so much at the heart of the Buddhist teaching, this notion of dukkha, which, by the way, one of its translations is not just suffering, but that which is difficult to bear with, this um, notion of dukkha, this concept of dukkha, is uh, you could look at it from the perspective of suffering, but also you could look at it from the perspective of that moment of awakening. It's actually when you feel that dukkha, it's a moment of awakening to the um, limitations of conditionings, limitations of habits limitations of um, a a mechanical worldview, repetitive, just like uh, 
uh, you know, a, a computer has many programs and you press a button and you know what program is going to come out. You press an Outlook Express, you know you're not going to get Google. <laughs> and if you press on Google, you're not going to get uh, <laughs> my picture program or whatever. And so um, it takes some time to realize that buttons are being pushed but um, and our mind is reacts minds uh, our mind is very good at uh, bringing up the program straight away <laughs> doesn't take very long it's actually quite skilled at it you know, as soon as somebody pushes our buttons as we say we know what kind of program is going to come up don't we so you could say that this uh, concept dukkha, you know, which is often um, translated as suffering, can be also uh, looked upon as a moment, a moment of awakening. When you see dukkha, then you are awake. And it's not a question of... Um, seeking out that experience so you can be more awake because this is what the greedy mind brings up this is a greedy mind's program when something feels good something sounds good immediately there is I want there is immediate response is can I get more of that can I have more of that pleasant feeling or that pleasant experience so um, when we um, take uh, refuge in this practice, take interest in this path of awakening, we realize that it's not an easy thing. It's not easy to challenge those programs, those conditioning. Because as a uh, a very f- a good friend of mine who is also a well-known teacher uh, said, uh, one of the, he's one of the uh, members of our community, there is nothing, nothing more comfortable than ignorance. It's, we can't blame ourselves for not wanting to wake up because there's something very comfortable about just following habits. Mm-hmm. And really, habits are not such a bad thing because you could say that the whole training of the mind is reprogramming in some ways the mind but in a skillful way you reprogram the the mind but in such a way that the mind becomes an instrument that is going to be supportive of your life it's going to become a useful tool for you to um, generate happiness in your life much of our programming even though we think that um, we, we want happiness and we seek happiness and we uh, wish for our life to be a happy experience when uh, we really look deeply through our meditation practice into the um, experience of each moment from moment to moment don't we realize very quickly that the mind is not at all a peaceful place 
So from that place which is unpeaceful and restless and uncomfortable and discontented, you know, what do we do? What what is the what is going to help you help us into um, generating feelings of happiness, into manifesting um, a world view that is inspiring, a world view that brings confidence in our heart, that is um, uh, able to express our potential for uh, liberation able to express the, um, the, the seeds of awakening, the seed of the Buddha, the, the, you can see the, the, the Bodhi seeds in our heart. You know, so the teaching of the Buddha is really a, a, a path that is, um, um, that, that is um, help, helping us to uh, find out what those seeds are and um, um, create conditions for those seeds to grow and to blossom into beautiful um, things. So even though we are looking for happiness and we, we want our life to improve, we want ourselves to be more at peace. You know, there's many things in the way. There's many things that we have to acknowledge that are not peaceful, not happy. And uh, the Buddhist teaching, the Buddha himself started like all of us. He was just a human being 2,500 years ago, just an old wind chap <laughs> guy. He was a prince. I mean, it's not maybe so ordinary. <laughs> But obviously he had some dukkha too. <laughs> he, in fact, he was suffering enough to want to wake up and to um, really liberate himself from um, that experience of limitation and 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 uh, and, um, and even though he spent six years developing his mind in various um, techniques, with various through developing various techniques of uh, breathing and concentration practice. Technique, the, the practice which were very prevalent uh, in, in his day and uh, in his days. You know, he, he probably had, he, he had probably the, the best teachers of um, his time. Yet, even after six years of developing the bliss of concentration, the bliss of um, profound uh, absorptions, he still wasn't satisfied with his practice. So if you feel dissatisfied with your practice, don't, you know, take, you know, um, step back a little bit and just notice that even the Buddha wasn't satisfied with six years of intensive practice. So what do we, <laughs> how can we be satisfied with our own practice? So why wasn't he satisfied? You know, basically because he realized that the programs that he'd been using were not liberating. Huh? Interesting. Even just developing those absorptions wasn't really for him um, 
the path of peace. And this is really what is at the heart of our most deepest and innermost desire is peace. We want to be happy, but why? Because happiness is peaceful. It's you know, it's it's it has a, a quality of easefulness and relaxation. You know, and when we are happy, and haven't you noticed that we are so much more present somehow, so much more open because we are relaxed. Consciousness is um, more spacious, less um, obsessed with itself less self-absorbed when we are happy. We can be more generous. We become more open to other people. We notice what's happening around us when we are happy. We can, we can, we can generate a lot of good qualities in ourselves when the heart is happy. Mm-hmm. But the Buddha was uh, such a wonderful teacher because who is happy? <laughs> Who is happy in this room? How many people are happy? Maybe sometimes, okay? Of course we're all happy at some point in our life, some moments of the day. But a lot of our experience of life is not such a happy one, is it? And it's nothing very personal. Somebody was telling me, even at the level of amoebas, the thing that makes him move is irritations. How many amoebas do we have in our body? (laughs) Actually, the thing that makes amoebas kind of move is just this kind of constant irritation with each other. Isn't it? Does that look like human beings a bit? Doesn't that that resemble a little bit what we do to each other? You know, we make we might not make our body move, but doesn't that don't we make our mind move a lot? Pressing our buttons and you know, you, you notice that even after a meditation course, you've been spending 10 days maybe relaxing and maybe more mindful, developing qualities of the heart that generates more uh, awareness, presence of mind. And it doesn't take very long to feel you've lost it all. You know, you go back home, something very minor happens, and your equanimity has just gone out of the window totally. It doesn't take very long, even after 10 days of intense practice. So what do we do in our everyday life when we don't have that support of practice? We don't have that support of sustained effort and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So the Buddha was such a very compassionate teacher. He didn't just uh, left us stranded with a wish to be happy in a world which is swamped in suffering. (laughs) And we are part of this world. We are sensitive creatures who feel the suffering of the world. Even when we are happy ourselves, we still are interconnected with the whole world, with the you know, and even though we may not have any problems, still we are um, conscious beings who can um, contact the suffering throughout the throughout the whole world. 
We don't even need the, the media. Sometimes we blame it on the media. We said, if I didn't watch TV all day long, I wouldn't be depressed. If I didn't read the newspaper, I wouldn't be so kind of confused. And if George Bush was doing his job properly, you know, the country, you know, I would be more rich and, and you know, I could identify with my president. But now I just feel disgusted. Just a little kind of vignette, you know, a little kind of, a, a very dear friend of mine was visiting the monastery. We just parted today. She's going back to Thailand. She's a Thai nun. She just came back from the United Nations conference in Geneva on the theme of uh, women, leaders, and peace. And she was telling me that she came from Thailand with a well-known um, artist and the whole theme was mothers, women peace and this artist <laughs> painted a very clever <laughs> painting she was describing us how he had painted a mother breastfeeding two babies one looked like Bin Laden and the other one George Bush <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, just to shake the conditionings, I think the art is very good at that, isn't it? Just to show that basically at the heart of it all, we just, there's mothers and fathers and children and we're all one in that realm, the human realm. We all, uh, and, and the mothers are the most important um, uh, person in the children's life. Mothers, the mother is what is the most influence, the greatest influence of the of, our, of the children in the children's life. So um, it was a, one can interpret this painting as we wish. Each one of us will have a different reaction, different interpretation of it. But it's sort of, I thought it was kind of very, <laughs> very kind of funny. <laughs> But the, the, as to come back to the uh, teaching of the Buddha, you know, we have a, we have a path that uh, doesn't leave just stranded in a world of suffering with the intense desire to be happy. Uh, we have a means to actually deal with whatever is not happy in ourselves, deal with whatever we feel is uh, miserable. Um, and a very clear path couldn't be more clear. The only thing that's not clear is um, the fact that we um, that we we we're not clear about the fact that we suffer. That's often this is really the whole journey of our awakening is to awake to awaken to the fact that we suffer. Now, I say I don't suffer you know I don't have to feel that I suffer to start to experience suffering you know? I just have to be with my aging body <laughs> and I know there is suffering you know somebody was talking about yoga and arthritis you don't need to go very far you don't need to create you don't need to to create a whole philosophical movement or metaphysical theory to believe that suffering exists, you know, 
It's just, a, 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 it's rampant. It's, it's really, a, a, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, that sea, we are swimming in it all the time. So uh, the path of awakening that the Buddha laid out for us is a, a very urgent matter. But do we ask the right question to create that sense of urgency to wake up? Most of our program is um, a very simple ones. We're not, we, 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 have, we have been educated in this Western society in such a way that our intellect can, be, can make us believe we are very complex, complex, sophisticated machines. We are very sophisticated instruments. You know, the brain is a very sophisticated instrument. But when it comes down to the programming of our mind, it's pretty, pretty, it lacks a lot of subtlety and refinement. It's basically two. I like, I want, please more. I don't like, I don't want, get out. <laughs> Kill. <laughs> On the emotional level, it's not that refined, actually. And I was thinking today how my teacher at Chantamedo used to say that uh, intellectually we are very mature, but emotionally we're about three years old. And I think psychology and psychotherapy has, is teaching us that all the time. But even in the Buddhist teaching, you, you don't need, even, I mean, therapy is useful, and I'm not saying you don't need therapy, but look in your meditation, just, just in your experience, as you take refuge in awareness and mindfulness and restraint, when you really are determined to not act and skillfully on your mental states, which are generated through anger, through greed, through aversion, through hatred, through negativity or whatever, notice how um, to restrain this at an emotional level, how difficult it is, you know, to not speak in anger, to not act on greed, how miffed do we miss, do we feel often, disappointed? Don't we feel undermined when emotionally we don't feel satisfied? I experience this very regularly. You know, the, the, our greatest fear is to, um, you know, my greatest fear, you could say, uh, one of my greatest fear is, uh, I can see in my heart, is to not be wise to these things. You know, it's, it's the fear of not responding wisely to life. You know. Now, I can observe that fear. You know, I don't have to believe it. I don't have to create m me for the next week or so out of that fear. But I notice that that sense of urgency is, um, you know, is is helpful in 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 um, bringing about the conditions to wake up. So, no, so often a question like, "What am I doing now? What is the point of my life? You know, why why am I here?" You know, when the mind gets really complex, quote-unquote, sophisticated, metaphysical, 
<laughs> we get caught into theory and ideas and so on. Just asking the question in the, in the, in the space of mindfulness awareness, just what am I doing now? What's happening? How? Just a question, you know? You can, you know, you know the word, the what to, you know, in the Chinese tradition there is a, a technique, a practice, and you just bring up the, the, the doubt, who am I? Or who, simply. And just asking that question clears the mind. Just asking the question itself without a response, without, you know, um, brings a different space in the heart. So just for us, what kind of question do we ask ourselves? What kind of question do we ask every day? What kind of doubts do we get into in our everyday life? What is it that um, make our mind confused through the wrong questions? What am I going to do tomorrow? How will be will I be able to you know will I be able to have friends when I when I get old? Will I have enough money tomorrow? Will I be able to support my children? Will I be you know we get into all sorts of doubts which have an appearance of importance. They are important. They appear they appear as being important. But do we ask the right questions in terms of what are we generating the conditions in our life for our mind to come to a place of greater peace, of greater clarity, of greater understanding of our own suffering, which if unchecked, unrealized, if we are unawakened towards that suffering, it will create a future which will be, you could say, the result of our unawakened mind. And that unawakened mind is programmed, as I said at the beginning, where, you know, until you awaken, most of the conditioning that we carry around, which manifest externally, which create the world we live in, which create the perception we see the world through, which create the, the you know, which, which it, it goes on forever, which, which really um, create a lot of complications in our life. You know? The unawakened mind is basically, you know, founded, it's, it's basically uh, rooted in Greed, I mean, just to simplify it, the Buddha made it very simple, greed, hatred, and delusion. And it's endless um, shades, you know, from extreme to the, even the, the minute, uh, minute desire, you know, the, uh, just a single moment of wanting something other than what you have will just immediately start off a chain of reactions that will end up. You might not even see the beginning of that chain. You will just know it maybe a day later when something happened and say, oh my God, what happened? And that moment of unawareness, unchecked, unacknowledged, unrealized, 
may create a lot of more, a lot more suffering. So this is why the Buddha focused on that uh, notion of dukkha, you know, and the end of dukkha, because that's very much dukkha. When you see dukkha, is that moment of awakening. So dukkha is not, you know, people say, oh, Buddhism is just about dukkha, 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 dukkha. Beginning dukkha, middle dukkha, and ending dukkha. Just dukkha. <laughs> what do I want to do with dukkha anyway? I mean, I'm suffering all, all day long already. Do I want to hear about dukkha and dukkha and dukkha? <laughs> what a boring thing to have to talk about all the time, dukkha. But really, when you practice with this experience of dukkha, it's you practice with the awakened mind. It's a moment of awakening, a moment of, ah, I know now, and I won't get stuck in that experience again. Of course you will. But, <laughs> but at least at that very moment, there is a moment of confidence, <laughs> trust. There is this feeling, I know now. You know, five minutes later, you're back into the same track, but hitting yourself against the wall of anger and frustration. But still, there's that moment of light. So this one little moment of light next to another little moment of light, eventually you'll see things will get brighter, a lot brighter. So don't get uh, discouraged when you have a, you know, when you see him walking in the in a tunnel, dark tunnel of misery and doubt and fear and frustration and um, being impatient and feeling this self-disparaging and feeling you're going nowhere. You know, um, I mean, how many people don't feel like this here? Am I, am I the only one who have experienced these things? Am I? You know, then you, you know, then then you realize that there is a, there is a path, there is a mean, there is a, there are tools that um, are will 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 liberate the heart from this um, feeling of being caught and stuck in a world of darkness. And it's not easy, you can see. I mean, just just being so exposed to what's happening in the world right now, we can see the dark forces at play in a very poignant fashion. You know, how many people, the intense suffering that's you know, not not just a, a you know a existential suffering that we all experience, but just being beaten up and tortured and starving and repressed and you know having people with absolutely no freedom at all, no freedom of speech, no freedom of action, no freedom of thought even. I think one of the positive aspects of the 11th of September, certainly for me, and I don't know for you, made me realize what a free country we are part of. The Western world may have a lot of drawbacks, a lot of um, unsatisfactory things, but 
Aren't we happy to be able to see what we want? A lot of the time. We're not, we don't have a gun behind us, you know, checking out on every word we say. We can even go in march, in streets, demonstrate. There was a peace demonstration a few, a few days ago in San Francisco. You know, you can disagree with your government. You might not be able to be so, you know, um, powerful to change anything. But at least personally, you have the freedom to think what you want to think. How many countries uh, have this freedom? So, um, one aspect of the teaching is to recognize also the good things in our life. You know, I had a, 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 young, a young nun wrote to me recently. I've known her for some time, and she was, uh, she's from the Korean tradition. She's a bhikkhuni in the Korean tradition, and she was telling me she just finished a, a thousand day of intense practice, you know, that she'd been doing in, in the States in, in, in a monastery near San Francisco. And I wrote back to her, and I said, oh, congratulations, you must be feeling such a sense of goodness in your heart to have done such a, to have been um, so devoted to your practice, such a kind of, so much energy generated in your, you know, for, out of love of Dharma practice and so on. You, know, you must be so good. And then she wrote back to me a few days later, and she said, you know, she called my, the email blessedness. <laughs> I said, what is she talking about? And I opened the email, and she said that suddenly she realized that d- during these thousand days she'd been, the whole community had been dedicating the practice for the benefit, the welfare of all beings and, you know, generating blessing towards all beings and so on. And she said, most of the time I was just focused on what, what I did wrong, you know. She, were, she said, I just focused about what I did wrong, what, what was the mistake I did, what, what, what was not correct in my practice, what was... You know, what was unskillful and so on. And suddenly so you reminded me that the Buddhist teaching um, includes in our practice of meditation a reflection of, of the, the, what is actually positive and good in our life. To, to train the mind, to deprogram our mind and to reprogram it into thinking, to not thinking, into remembering the good things of our life. You know? Haven't you noticed what kind of um, miserable program we have? It's always what I did wrong, I'm not good enough, he's better, I'm not good. You know, people are happy, I'm just miserable all the time. And I blasted this one again today and I'm even though I determined myself to keep my precept not harming anybody, I still shouted at this one and that one. You, you will notice, I don't know if some, some of you may have already uh, realized that, but one of our most um, common programs is to pick on the thing that are wrong. And uh, we are the, the target of that picking of our mind. You know, it just happens beyond your control. Just to let you know, in case you might not have noticed, whether you like it or not, it will happen. So, what is it that? What is that? 
When the Buddha talked about the concept of anatta, you know, when he said it's not self, it means whether you like it or not, it will happen. So be aware. It's not you. You like to be happy. We, I like to be wise all the time. I like to be compassionate all the time. I like to give the best talk all the time. But what happened? Mm-hmm. Are we compassionate all the time? Are we wise all the time? Mm-hmm. A lot of our actions don't come from that place of choice and freedom. A lot of our motivations are not generated by what we wish they will be generated. You know, what are we motivated even tonight? What motivates us to come here? Is it greed? Is it delusion? Is it anger? Are we just angry with ourselves and we want just to kind of shape up and get out in the world and become confident again with our meditation? Is it greed? If I get mindfulness, I might just get more money and be more happy, more successful, more... I might get more beautiful, maybe, more radiant, like those big babas you see on cushions in India. You know? I'll be, everybody will notice my aura. <laughs> They'll know, I'll be able to say wise words now. I'm sure they'll notice how much I've practiced metta, compassionate, I'm such a, and then of course, you know what happens when you think like that. <laughs> Mara is always around the corner, kind of checking you out. <laughs> Aha, that's what you think about yourself, eh? Well, let's double check that one. Even the Arahant nuns, Mara was there around the corner. Even just a moment before they got enlightened, you know, before they got enlightened. They're, you know, they're pretty good, you know, pretty achieved guys, weren't they? In terms of achievement. Still Mara was then saying, what are you doing, you silly one? You know, you, you're so beautiful. I mean, you could just have such a good time out there in the world, you know. Have babies and, you know, you could just make, you know, your, your mother and your father happy. You know, you could generate lots of merits. You know, even just before the moment of enlightenment. So, what do you think we are in a better position when our maras kind of turn up and say, "Ha ha ha!" <laughs> <laughs> you think you're mindful? Well, let's see. Somebody comes along and say, "Hey, George, what did you do with my book? I didn't lend it to you." And then anger comes frustration or whatever. This is Mara. So the Buddha was very clever. He didn't take Mara out of the picture. It says, you know, he didn't say, oh, the evil one should not be part of our world. It should not be part of our past. We shouldn't feel any evil thoughts. We should not feel any evil feelings or any, we should not have any nasty perceptions about anybody. We should always be like blissed out and loving, accepting, endlessly patient, totally unjudgmental. 
completely, completely, completely compassionate for, towards all beings. He said, when he met Mara under the body tree, he just kept saying, oh, I knew you, Mara, it's fine, you know. <laughs> you know he didn't say, get out, or start breathing in and out deeply so he could repress Mara completely, shut it out, cut it off, <coughs> kill it. He just included it. You know, Mara pursued the Buddha for 45 years. And who is Mara? I love that Sufi teaching, which says, if you want to look for the devil, just look at yourself. <laughs> it kind of brings it home, doesn't it? It makes it manageable. You know, Mara is not this kind of evil spirit that just kind of hover over you. Because basically, a state of ignorance is Mara. That's what it is. When you are, you know, caught in greed, hate, and delusion, you are befriending Mara. You are in the realm of Mara. When you're letting go of this, and you're realm of Dhamma. You know? So, wh- what kind of realm do we want to be part of? Hmm? So, bringing up the quality, the positive quality of ourselves, is a profound training. It's not just positive thinking very different. It's actually reality thinking. Thinking about what is good in your life. Noticing it. Making much of it. You know, We make so much of our negative selves, don't we? We can dwell on that for days, weeks, years. We can even put a lot of effort into doing that without any qualms whatsoever. Unquestioned, you know, it's totally unquestioned. And of course we have to spend years and tons of money as a therapist because to deprogram that unskillful way of thinking. But now the Buddhist teaching actually encourages you. You can do it yourself. It's not something you need to pay a lot of money for. You can actually bring up in the same way that uh, you know, part of our training is to develop mindfulness in your meditation as you do tonight. But it, it, it's expensive. It, it touches on so many aspects of our life. It's not just breathing in, breathing out, and that's it. It's using everything you've got to support you know, the seed that will bring happiness in your life. Everything you've got. So that includes reflections on you know, what is good in your life, to bring it up, to make m- much of it, as in Thailand they say, to make much, really um, flood your mind with the goodness of your life. You know, not just a little, oh, you know, I did this well, yes, but I didn't... <laughs> this is the sort of, you know, this is the easy slope. Yeah, But I was a bit... I was kind to Betsy today, you know. Yes, but he didn't do kind of long list of miserable memories. So to bring up those positive actions that you do, noticing when you're generous. We are very frightened of that, you know. It's very interesting because, of course, we have such a strong self-identification that we think, if I think I'm generous, then I'm going to be conceited. 
if I think I'm kind, then maybe I'll be arrogant. You know. So the Buddha, the Buddhist teaching is, um, you know, addresses all aspects of our ignorance. It says, it, it, it says, you know, notice that things are impermanent; they're changing all the time, and you don't have a lot of control over them. It's anatta; it's not self. And then from that perspective, once you can really see that nothing is really you or yours, then you are in the realm of Dhamma, which it's where at a place where you are mature enough to start developing the seeds of the positive seeds, what I call the positive seeds, without identifying with them as being me, mine. Until we get really that realization that our mind is not who we are, is not ours, it's, it's, it's a mechanism that's very much out of our control a lot of the time. You know, I mean, you've noticed one day you will determine to um, not say angry words, <clears throat> but no matter how much, how strong your intention is, how strong your intention is to refrain from doing that, even even though you may uh, wish it from the depths of your heart, from the deepest part of your heart, even though you may uh, make uh, the strongest vow not to do it, you still, have you noticed that you still manage to be angry with somebody? You still manage to say something stupid. You still manage to react. You still manage to think stupid, you know, thought about yourself. Even though the whole world will say, you're wonderful. Everybody just love you. You're marvelous. You're most wonderful beings. Still, little Joe inside will say, yeah, well, you... <laughs> they don't really know the real me. They only knew who I truly am. You know. I remember when my teacher many years ago said to me that I had given a good talk. My mind immediately said, oh, he just wants to make you happy. You know, he just doesn't want to, you know, he just, he just wants to be pleasing you. I never appreciated even his words, you know. And I, I, it was, I had a very good insight at that moment. I said, even if the Pope or the Dalai Lama told me that I gave a good talk, I still wouldn't believe them anyway. <laughs> you know, because the program is so strong and I'm never good enough. You feel you're never good enough. I'm not, I don't think I'm talking about myself, but I think I'm talking about everybody else too, you know. We all have that very strong habit of being judgmental, critical, and totally determined to focus on the things that are not right. And what does that do? It's very dangerous, actually. You know, you don't realize how dangerous it is. Because whenever you attach to those negative mental states, you're actually seeding more of those seeds, you know. You're making them grow through unawareness. They blossom. And then you feel more miserable in your life. This is why you need to realize that our mind is like a, a, you know, an empty field. And through lifetime of lifetime of being totally deluded, we've accumulated a lot of miserable seeds. So now it's time to kind of start sorting them out, you know, and kind of, um, you know, start digging the soil. So what we do in meditation, we start digging the soil and getting them, you know, sorting out the seeds. And then eventually we 
notice what is, you know, we realize the realization of what actually makes us, makes me happy, then I want to follow. I don't want to follow anything that's going to make me miserable. It's not worth it, is it? Especially you get old, I mean, honestly. Most of you here are pretty, you know, middle-aged, aren't you? So you have to look after your mind because your body is not going to do a lot of, it's not going to improve a lot over the years. <laughs> but your mind can all the time. It's an incentive, isn't it? So, um, you know, I just want to maybe just finish this um, talk, you know, just by reminding you that um, do we ask the right question in our everyday life? Do we reflect on objects that are going to bring us happiness or do we reflect constantly on things that makes us generate more misery? You know, find a way through your practice to notice that the teaching is not uh, addressing just um, the practice of sitting meditation, but it's a training of the mind that is extremely comprehensive. It requires an incredible effort on our part to um, notice when, when habits are present, to notice when they are not, to notice the lovely moment when we suddenly are awake and come from that place of freedom. It's a beautiful moment, you know, beautiful moment where you have a choice and you can see it clearly and the mind is ready to go down the right road, you know. It's a lovely moment of freedom when you suddenly see, oh, I could go there and I could be really comfortable and happy and, you know, I don't know that way, and, but I could refrain and actually be kind and generous instead, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a moment of awakening. That's why it's so happy and free and joyful. So we need really to contemplate those moments of joyfulness, you know, that come from the sense of freedom when we really notice what, you know, where we are. We notice where we are and at that moment there is many roads that are present in front of us. We can go down many alleys, you know, but when we are really mindful and really aware, then the wisdom can inform us. You know, wisdom is not self. It's a quality of the heart that is present when there is mindfulness, awareness, concentration, energy. It's, 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 it informs. It's another, it's, you could say it's a wisdom program. <laughs> but it's not a really program because program always implies something mechanical. Wisdom is not mechanical. It's responsive. It responds completely to the situation freshly completely out of the emptiness of your heart, out of the unconditioned part of yourself. So I wish you to continue your practice and to continue to bring clarity into your heart, peace that will bring deeper clarity, and to nurture in yourself the, the moment of joyfulness and the moment of happiness that come from reflecting on the goodness of your life.